The Lord be with you. Let us pray. <clears throat> oh God, show us what it means that we are called to give our all to you and keep loving us as we keep trying to figure that out. Amen. It's an article I came across in the through the Atlantic magazine and an online thing that I get. And it was written a couple months ago in August of 2018. And the title of the um, article was, We Are All Accumulating Mountains of Things. How Online Shopping and Cheap Prices Are Turning Americans into Hoarders. It's written by a person named Elena Samuels. I'm going to read from some of that. Starts off, it's easier than ever to buy things online. It's so easy that Ryan Casada sometimes does it in his sleep. And then the story's told of this 24-year-old man who orders everything off of Amazon, and one day he woke up and, and realized that um, something arrived the next day, and he had ordered it while he literally was asleep. Thanks to a perfect storm of factors, Americans are amassing a lot of stuff. Before the advent of the internet, we had to set aside time to go browse the aisles of a physical store, which was only open a certain number of hours a day. Now we can shop from anywhere, anytime, while we're at work or exercising or even sleeping. We can tell Alexa we need new underwear, and in a few days it'll arrive on our doorstep. And because of the globalization of manufacturing, that underwear is cheaper than ever before. So cheap that we can add it to our online shopping cart without a second thought. He goes on to say that online shopping also feels good because people get a dopamine hit from buying stuff. Goes on to say that in 2017, Americans spent $240 billion twice as much as they spent in 2002 on goods like jewelry, watches, books, luggage, and telephones and related communication equipment. Over that time, the population just grew 13%. Spending on personal care products doubled over that same time period. Clothes, 20% more money was spent on clothes than they were spent in the year 2000. Then this one, uh, somebody from Columbia University is quoted in here, and it says, Americans have become a society of hoarders. It's easy to accumulate more, and it's easy to spend more. And then at the same time that we are getting more and more stuff, we're taking up more space. Last year, the average size of a single-family house in America was 2,426 feet. That's 23% bigger size than just two decades ago. And the number of self-storage units is increasing rapidly too. The article goes on to talk about how not everybody is a benefiter of this. Some people don't have the technology. Many more people just don't have the money. But then it says most Americans aren't curtailing their shopping habits. And as consumers demand cheaper clothing, electronics, and other goods, manufacturers are spending less to make them, which sometimes means they fall apart more quickly, which of course leads to greater and more landfills. 
On and on the article goes, but you get the message. We have a lot of stuff. Perhaps our story today is one that you're familiar with. If you are familiar with, though, I do hope that instead of you being used to it, that it still bugs you. I know it still bugs me. Starts off that Jesus is setting out on a journey. And Mark, that's a trigger because just a couple chapters ago, Jesus began to go on his journey, which would lead him to Jerusalem. And all along the way, it would reference by saying, while he was on the way, while he was, you know, on this journey, same word, a reminder that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, which will start off with a great parade on Sunday, but then lead to his death just a few days later. Jesus is on that way, and all along the way, he's trying to teach whoever might hear what it means to follow him. This man comes up to him and asks, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then we got a strange comment from Jesus. Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And I could spend a whole sermon on that. And I'll just be honest and say, Man, I don't understand really what that means. Because, yes, Jesus is good. He sure is. He's super good. And not only is Jesus good, Jesus is God. So, you know... What I have read that kind of makes a little bit of sense is that what Jesus does here is he's trying to eliminate the whole notions of goodness and badness as far as what we do. Because right then he faces a man who is very good. Jesus highlights some of the commands of the Old Testament of the, um, the Ten Commandments. Of course, he adds one in there about you shall not defraud. Defraud means to, to take away from someone what is owed to them. And then we get to this one part that I think is the most important part of this story. And it's a part of the story that, see, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this story. Each one tells it a little bit differently. Only Mark says this, though, that Jesus looked at the man and loved him. Only Mark says that. And actually, this is the only time in Mark that we read that Jesus says that he loves someone, that Mark says that Jesus loves someone. And I think those are important words for this story because Jesus is fixing to tell this guy a very hard truth. And really, you can only tell hard truths to people if you really love them. The hard truth was this, you lack one thing, go and sell what you own, give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven, and then come and follow me. And then we read that this man was shocked, and he went away grieving because he had a lot of possessions. And with that, we let the worrying and the questions begin. The worrying, well... Jesus is telling this man to sell his possessions and give the money to the poor and then come and follow. The question and the worrying is, is he talking about us? And I tell you what, the church throughout the centuries 
have really bent itself over backwards to try to explain this away, the hardness of this text. One of them, one explanation is that really this guy that comes is really lying. He's not keeping all those commands. He's lying. Or, or another example is that he's arrogant. But we don't read any of that in this text. Actually, it says that when this man comes to Jesus, he kneels down before Jesus. And someone who is arrogant is not going to kneel. Another explanation, and probably the most popular one, is that, well, when Jesus is talking to this rich man, Jesus is just talking to this man. This was the problem this man had, and that's the only person Jesus is talking to. Similarly, some say that, well, yeah, Jesus is talking to this rich man, and he's really talking to anyone who is really rich, but of course, we're not rich. Another favorite that gets thrown out is that we, we come up with the idea that, that, well, Jesus is just saying we're supposed to give up whatever blocks our following Jesus. So, of course, whatever blocks our following Jesus, it's always going to be spiritual things. Interestingly enough, it's not material things. And then, of course, there's proponents of the prosperity gospel who, later on in this story... The disciples are just shocked that, that, that this, you know, this rich man's not, you know, he walks away. So Peter and the other disciples, well, Jesus, you know, how about us? You know, we've, we've given away everything. You know, we left our mother, our father, our homes, and all this stuff. And Jesus says, well, yeah, those of you who did that, well, you're going to receive 100-fold. You're going to get 100 times what you gave up. Now, what the prosperity gospel folks like to do is say, well, you know what? If you give away this now, guess what? God's going to bless you with a hundred times that. And, of course, you're supposed to give that money away to those heresy-preaching preachers. You give the money to them. Oh, yeah, and you're going to get blessed a hundred times over. God the great ATM machine. All these attempts to explain away a very hard saying of Jesus. It's a hardness that can be summed up, what he says next. How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. So, of course, we say, but Scott, I'm not wealthy. But you know what? In our heart of hearts, we know that each one of us is indeed wealthy No, we're not Bill Gates wealthy or LeBron James wealthy. But most everyone in this world that we live in would happily trade economic places with any of us. We are rich. And then we get another explanation. Man, the church is good about trying to dodge things, Jesus says. Of course, except for things, of course, that talk about other people. When it talks about us, we do everything to dodge it. After this, Jesus says, you know, he says, you know, be pretty near impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then he says, it would be easier for for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we get that image, don't we? Camel, eye of a needle. But here's what the church has done, and it's wonderful ways of trying to explain Jesus away. One is this, the word camel in Greek is 
like we spell it, C-A-M-E-L-O-S, that makes it a noun. Well, some say, well, that was a, a misspelling. It's supposed to be C-A-M-I-L-O-S, Camelos, which is rope or cable. In other words, a rope going through the eye of a needle. It's hard, but it ain't as hard as a camel, right? And then there's another explanation that the eye of the needle was a gate in Jerusalem that was used after dark. And what would happen, it's a pretty small gate, so that the camel would have to have all its stuff that's carrying taken off. It would have to get on its knees and squish its way through the, the eye of the needle gate. That sounds pretty cool, but there's never been any proof that there was such an existence of a gate, anything like that. But like I said, the church is good about making stuff up to dodge the things that Jesus is saying. No, I think what we're left with is a very hard saying. But I want to go back to that one thing that I think is most important about this story is that Jesus looks at the man and loves him and then says what he says and I think if we can remember that Jesus looks at us and loves us and says this we don't have to squirm and try to explain away this text one thing to remember about this text Jesus is talking about life in the kingdom of God now of course, the first thing we do when we think of the kingdom of God is life up in heaven. Now, I'm not going to discount life up in heaven at all, but I don't think Jesus talks about that most all of the time. Most all of the time, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God as being the realm of God in the right here and now of life. Okay? He's not talking about, okay, if I give up something, then I'll get my ticket punched to go to heaven. I don't think Jesus talks about that. Remember when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Life in the kingdom of God is a life built in relationships. Full communion with God and with others, and that means all others. So when Jesus says that it's very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom, I don't think he's talking about who's going to get to go to heaven and who's going to get sent to hell. I think he's talking about the realm of God in the sense of being in communion with God and with others. And wealth can separate us from such communions in, in a couple ways. For one thing, wealth can help us forget what the real source of life is. The more we get, the more we are convinced that we are the ones who did the getting. We are the creators of the wealth that we have. I did it. I earned this. This is mine. And we forget about the real source of life. God gets put on the back burner, if on any burner at all. Wealth can separate us from God. And wealth can also separate us from others. 
Because you see, what I have is mine. It belongs to me. I worked hard for it. I can do with it whatever I want to do with it. And generally what I want to do with it is to spend it on me and on my folks. There's not a whole lot of sense the more wealth I get that there are others out there that might need my wealth. Yeah, we may give them the scraps. We may give them the leftovers. We may give them the junk that we don't want. You see, wealth widens the gap between us who are wealthy and those who are not. Wealth robs us of relationship. I think Jesus hints at that in a couple ways. I said earlier about how Jesus quotes the, some of the commandments. And then he also quotes another one that's not one of the Ten Commandments. It's about do not defrauding. Do not deprive those who should get what they are owed. And all throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel are being reminded that they owe those who are poor what they have. They owe the poor, the widows, the strangers, the immigrants that are among them. They owe that to those people because those folks don't have anything. It is up to you to provide for them over and over throughout the Old Testament. Then the prophets, they love to jump on those who are the leaders in Israel because they're neglecting that responsibility. They are defrauding those who are in need of what they should be getting from us. And then, a second thing, Jesus said, go and sell what you own. Did you notice where he said to do with the money? Unfortunately, he didn't say to give the money to the church. But since hopefully you've already turned in your pledge cards, you're not going to get them back. <laughs> Jesus says to give the money to the poor. And you will have riches in heaven. Now again, I don't think when Jesus talks about riches in heaven, he's talking about if you give money to the poor, you're going to have a really great house up in heaven. No, I think he's tying our care for the poor with life in the kingdom. That riches in heaven means riches in the right here and now, in the realm of God, as we are giving to those who are poor, we are being blessed in our giving and our relationship with those who are in need is enhanced. And God blesses that. But that's hard words for us to hear because we are rich. But Jesus speaks them to us because he loves us, just as he loved that rich man. And because Jesus loves us, he will tell us the truth we need to hear. And that is the wealth that we have separates us from God and from others. But it's a realm of God that God wants for us. And so he keeps calling us that. Now the question I want to ask as we end up this stewardship thing. Does Jesus want us? Does Jesus want me? Does Jesus want you to literally go and sell your possessions, our possessions, my possessions, and give the money to the poor and then come and follow 
I don't know the answer to that. One thing I think I do know, though, is that if we do say, oh, well, no, no, God doesn't want us to do that, I think that no always needs to be tentative because it's so quick for us to let our wealth insulate us or isolate us from what God wants of us in relation to God and in relation with other people. So let us remember if our answer is no, let's always make it tentative. Iffy. I'm not certain. Maybe so. But even as we remember that, let's remember that Jesus is never finished with us because Jesus continues to look on us and love us just as he did this man. We don't know what happened to this man. In the best story it would be later on, this man came back and gave and followed. But we don't know. After the rich man went away, though, you know, rich men, those are the ones that are the most blessed by God. At least that's what folks thought. And if this guy goes away, Peter says, well, Lord, you know, if this guy goes, well, who in the world can be saved? And Jesus said, well, with humans, nothing is possible. But with God, all things are possible. This God of whom all things are possible, remember, He loves us. And He loves us enough to never let us go. And He always keeps calling us, even us rich folks. That's a story that we got to tell. It's a story of love, and it's a story that is a very hard call. May our ministry as this church, may our life in the lives that we live be all about embracing that love and sharing that love in the way that God leads us. And thanks be to God for God's grace and love. Amen.